You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, look at this. Looks like we did it. 86 of you listened. Um, yeah, there were like 86 downloads. And I got to tell you, that's about 84 more than I thought there would be. So we are a global sensation here at Sobriety. Congratulations. You're here on the ground floor. Look at this growing empire. We are sobriety. I don't know how far away to get from the mic when I'm doing like a fake scream. Sobriety. What is that? We are Sparta. 300? Braveheart? Some movie with a half-naked Mel Gibson screaming? You know, not for me. I recognize that's for some people. It's not for me. Anyway, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning back in. Thanks for joining. Um, uh, we also got our first one-star review, which I appreciate the people keeping me humble. Because, you know, this 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 little head of mine, she gets a little big sometimes. I get a little big for my britches. Um, I, no, I'm not going to lie. When I saw there was like a one-star review on Apple Podcasts, it did hurt my feelings. But then I just had to remind myself of my days working at Thought Catalog when I was like 22, 23, and I would you know, write an article about my dead father, for example. And I would have comments that were like, I hope you kill yourself, you slut, you ugly fat troll. So comparatively, not so bad. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, Dear listener who left that one star, I hope one day I can convince you to turn that into five stars. And if not, well, thanks for joining me on this journey. I wish you the best. So last week, I briefly mentioned that I didn't do the AA route. And part of the reason I didn't do it is because the thought of going gave me a ton of social anxiety. And part of the reason I would sometimes drink was social anxiety. And it just felt like this messy sort of situation that, you know, just didn't feel like the right move for me at the time. The other thing that kind of turned me off to AA or at least the idea of it, I should say, because I haven't actually participated, was that there's a very strong emphasis on God or higher power. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, I know that there are many, 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 many atheists, agnostics, non-religious people who have gone to AA, have sworn by AA, they credit it to keeping them alive, and I'm sure that I probably could go and and get something out of it, and and maybe one day I will. I don't know. I don't know what the journey for me is going to look like. I don't know what, what the future holds. Um... AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is a a recovery tool, and it has a bit the basic tenets are that there are 12 steps that you work. The first step, let me pull it up. The first step is, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Okay. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Okay. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, people might be quick to point out that it says God as we understood him. And that can be, I'm, I, I mean, I kind of hear that as anything, anything can be God. Anything can be a higher power. It's whatever your reason to get up in the morning is, I guess. So I get that that doesn't have to fall within the confines of, of religion or a traditional idea of religion or God. But for me, you know, growing up, not religious, you know, sometimes when I hear God talk, I sort of immediately have sort of this trigger or kind of uncomfortable impulse that creeps in. And it's it's from growing up and going to people's houses as a child and being asked as the guest to say grace. And I have to be like, I don't know how to do that. And then seeing both of this look on 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 my friends' parents' faces of both like 
embarrassment for me and also kind of like a sadness like oh poor thing her parents aren't raising her right so yeah sometimes i hear god talk and i feel triggered and i feel transported back to that time and place when i was a kid and i would be in a situation where i felt like i was being judged or ridiculed or looked down upon and i felt embarrassed and inadequate because of something i believed or because of something i didn't believe My dad was Jewish, and I very much identify culturally as Jewish. I say that I'm Jewish, um, but religion itself, like the tenets of Judaism, like never really a major factor in my upbringing. My mom, I guess, has Christian roots if we were to go far enough back, but we've basically been generations of agnostics. We've been generations of, I don't know. It's funny, growing up, kids would ask, what's my religion? And I would say, well, my dad is Jewish and my mom is nothing. Nothing. How rude. My mom then got tired of me saying she was nothing, so she said, just tell people that I'm Wicca or I'm Wiccan. So she went through, that was a fun phase. Love to see the the looks on people's faces. Although my mother was ahead of her time. My mom has always been a trendsetter, you know? Now it's very cool to be a witch. I think sometimes there's this misconception that if you are not religious, you don't want anyone else to be religious. And it's like, that's not true. There's actually a great Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where he talks about missionary work. And he's like, I don't get it. Like, I like lobster. I don't travel the world and tell people, you got to eat the lobster. You got to have the lobster. The lobster is so good. He's like, basically, like, I just eat the lobster and I enjoy the lobster. And that's, that's very much how I feel. As long as something isn't hurting people and it's not being used to take autonomy away from others or, or disenfranchise a group of people, I think... Whatever inspires you, whatever fills your cup of joy, is that a saying? Fills your cup of joy? Well, I guess it's a saying now, but you know, I I support wherever or whatever someone finds strength in. And unfortunately, that hasn't always been reciprocated. I've been made to feel during various times in my life like my lack of religion was something that needed to be fixed. It usually didn't annoy me too much. It was much more of an awkward moment, you know, of there being group prayer and as a kid, not really knowing what to do, kind of like faking it. It's like, okay, yeah, uh, amen. As a kid, you don't ever want to be different. I grew up in a, a somewhat conservative upper middle class suburb in Northern California, so not in the middle of nowhere. I wasn't the only Jewish kid around, but there was a little bit of otherness and and you don't want to stick out. You don't want to stand out. So there was sometimes just that awkwardness of I didn't want to raise my hand and be like, I'm Jewish, so Jesus is actually not my Lord and Savior, but I'm glad to hear that he's yours. The only time I can remember feeling actually angry at someone was when my dad, my Jewish, basically agnostic father, was dying and there were people in our circle who made it clear that he needed to accept Jesus so that he could get into heaven. And now this was obviously an extremely upsetting thing to hear because this was not comforting to him. This was not comforting to us. And even if I could step outside of myself and understand that this is what they believed and somehow they thought it would be helping him and helping our family, it caused a ton of pain, a ton of resentment, and a ton of anger in me. So I was a teenager. I was 16. And um, whenever people from that point on, for for quite a few years, whenever people talked about praying for me or, or anything in that sort of arena, I took it personally and I took it like an insult. I took it like a conversion tactic. I was pissed off because I just wanted people to say, I'm here for you. What do you need? How can I help you? And instead, they assigned their belief system onto me. This was like the final countdown of my dad's life, like literally the man was on hospice, he was dying, and somebody said that. And I was, I was so mad. I was so, so, so mad. And I really never forgave that person. Maybe that's something I should 
think about or look into and like let it go a little bit because to be honest, even just talking about it right now, it's making me angry. I can step outside of the trauma of all of that enough now that I know when somebody says they're praying for you, they don't mean it as like a personal attack on you and your belief system. Nine times out of 10, it is from a heartfelt loving place and I accept it as that loving thing that it's intended to be. All this to say that when I first started researching AA, when I was like, okay, it is time to stop drinking, you know, for the hundredth time, because best believe I didn't just stop drinking the first time I thought it was a good idea to stop. So, you know, when I did, when I looked into AA and I was already nervous about the social aspect of it, and then I read the steps that mention God and I got more nervous and more awkward. And I just said, nope, not right now. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm going to read books. I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to talk to people on message boards. I'm going to download apps. But AA isn't in the cards for me at this point. Being sober during a pandemic has been (laughs) very weird, but also a a bright spot. I've had a lot of optimism just come barreling back after feeling like Eeyore under a dark cloud for a really long time. I've been pretty lucky during all of this COVID times. My job has been secure. My family members have been safe. I have a good living situation with people that I like quarantining with. So I feel grateful for that. But, you know, sometimes I do wonder if part of why I have been so stable and kind of okay-ish with everything happening is because sobriety gave me back so much positivity. And, you know, I'm not I'm not a fake positive person. You know, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I think that horrible, shitty things can happen and we don't need to find a silver lining. And sometimes life just fucking sucks and we cope and we deal and we figure out how to keep going. I will say sometimes I, I was talking to my mom and I'm like, when I first got sober, I was like, oh, my God. This is how people feel when they find God. They just want to like shout it from the rooftops because I was so happy and I just felt so good. And it's like you, you're like so happy and you want to sing it from the rooftops. And, you know, anybody who's struggling, you want to be like, have you tried cutting alcohol out of your life for 30 days and seen what happens? I was like, oh, shit, this is exactly what other people would do to me about religion when they were like, oh, I found God and it made me happy. Maybe finding God will make you happy. That's what we're all doing. We all, we're all just looking for answers to, to something. We're all just looking for something to make us feel good. And then when we find something that does, we want to tell other people about it. I'm like, oh, that's what this all is. That was a big wake up call to me to make sure I try not to come across too preachy or like I have it figured out or I have the answers or it's my way is the superior way because none of that is true and i'm sure i will occasionally preach because papa don't preach i am sober now i'm sorry that was terrifying i guess what i'm trying to say is that we all believe in something and what that something is is up to you there are many somethings in this world to excite us and inspire us and motivate us but But also, it's okay, I want to make this point too, it's also perfectly okay to wake up and not be excited about anything. That is a fantastic thing recovery teaches you. It's that, you know, that one day at a time principle. Feelings are temporary. Today is not tomorrow and tomorrow is not the day after. So if today is shit, that's fine. Let it be shit. You don't have to mine it for meaning. It's okay. Let it be shitty. Maybe tomorrow will be shitty too. How's that for an inspirational quote? Am I going to see that on Pinterest later? Am I going to see that on a Pinterest board? 
Before I wrap up, I wanted to introduce a segment. Oh my god, what? A segment? A whole segment? Yeah, I wanted to introduce a segment. So I'm sure you've heard of roses and thorns or valleys and hills where, you know, you share a good and a bad thing that happened either of your day or your week. It's something that sometimes people do at a dinner table together. You know, it's a nice little like recap, right? Here's the good thing that happened. Here's the bad thing that happened. One of the early stages that people sometimes experience in recovery is called the pink cloud syndrome or pink clouding. It's usually after the initial hump of getting sober when you start feeling good and then you actually start feeling euphoric. It's this like pink cloud over everything. You're excited, you're happy, you're confident. I remember like feeling it. I was riding the bus and I saw two little old ladies recognize each other and I just started crying because I was so happy. I was just so happy that they knew each other. That's it. I was just so overcome with joy. But just like the honeymoon phase in a relationship, the pink cloud does not last forever. But it can in this podcast. That's not the theme song. I don't know what that was. So I'm going to end each episode with my pink cloud, either of the day, of the week, whatever happened to make me feel giddy. And today's pink cloud is... Drum roll. James Marsters is getting a divorce. Woo! Now, you might be wondering two things. First thing, Ari, how is a divorce a happy thing? Well, it's a happy thing because I want to be with him. Number two, who's James Marsters? How dare you? How dare you? James Marsters famously played Spike on Buffy, which is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. And uh, I had a huge, huge crush on him when I was in middle school. He was part of my sexual awakening. I used to wear an engagement ring in seventh grade and say that I was engaged to Spike. This predates Twilight. I was engaged to a vampire back before it was cool. I mean, I don't know that it's ever been cool to be engaged to a vampire, but that's neither here nor there. So I should hop off. I'm still crafting the perfect DM to start our blossoming romance. Big things are happening, and I'm excited about it. Okay, I'll talk to you all next week. (laughs) Bye.